If you're looking for a little inspiration today about an entrepreneur who saw a problem and decided in the moment to fix it and create a million dollar company as a result, then this is an episode you don't want to miss. Today, my guest is Esther Vlessing, a Canadian entrepreneur with deep domain expertise in manufacturing, supply chain, and material sciences. While pursuing her Bachelor's of Science degree at University of Toronto, she founded Arctic Trim, a nationwide clothing brand carried in big box retailers across the country. From there, Esther joined Canada Goose Incorporated and worked on the design team spearheading their material sciences research. When COVID-19 hit in early 2020, Esther founded Canada Emergency Medical Manufacturers, CEMM, an emergency manufacturing operation that supplies the Canadian government with the medical supplies they need. CEMM created hundreds of domestic jobs, brought hundreds of thousands of units of PPE to Canadian frontline workers, and has done eight figures in revenue for its first two years in business. Esther holds an HBSC from the University of Toronto with select courses in economics and organizational behavior at Harvard University. She is a recipient of RBC's Canadian Women Entrepreneur Award in the Ones to Watch category and is recognized as one of Canada's 30 under 30 entrepreneurs by Bay Street Bull. I hope that you enjoy this inspiring story and conversation as much as I did. Welcome to The Road to Seven. I'm your host, Sheila Cummins. I am an entrepreneur, a mentor, an investor, a wife, and mom to three beautiful children. Women entrepreneurs are up-leveling and changing the rules for business strategy, leadership, success, money, and impacting the world every single day. The Road to Seven is the diary of business strategy for women entrepreneurs. We meet you where you're at in your business and champion you along the road to your vision. And I am honored you chose to join us today. Ready to go? Buckle up. It's time to hit the road. My guest today is Esther, and I've been dying to talk to this woman because she has built this business so in alignment with what's happening in our world. And I'm dying to know, Esther, about the Canada Emergency Medical Manufacturers. We'll just call it CEMM, just for short. You know, it is it is a new business. You've been targeted as one to be watching because it's obviously growing really quickly. How on earth? Did you come to being the president at CEMM? That is such a great question. And thank you so much for having me on your show. I was always a believer that if you want to make change, you can't wait for anybody to appoint you. So CEMM was started by me, which is how I came to be the the president and CEO of the company. And what what prompted you to to start this company? Tell us a little bit about, you know, obviously you you saw a need somewhere. Tell us about the company and how you how you built it and and you know, just your journey to 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 this place. Absolutely. For me, origin stories are so interesting and so important. 
So I'll start by saying that the very first company that I ever ran was in manufacturing. It was in the fashion space. I saw that there were some articles of clothing and accessories that I really wanted to have that weren't being made. So I started my first company when in 2014. And that was my very first entree into the manufacturing world. I ran this company and that was a five, almost six figure company that I ran for a number of years. There came a point where I had to make the choice whether I would stay running that company that wasn't really allowing me to live the lifestyle or the life that I wanted and to re-enter the workforce as an employee. And I made that choice. And it's important to note because along our path and our journeys, we may start companies that have brilliant nuggets, but may not be the right, the right company yet. So that's also a lesson in me shutting that down and having to let go of something that I loved and wanted to run. And I re-entered the workforce. One of the companies that I ended up working for was Canada Goose. So that was, I was on the design team. I learned a little bit more about manufacturing from a, a great billion dollar company. Always knowing that I wanted to go back and be my own boss. That was something I was always very, very clear on. So fast forward a few years. So now coming back to answer that question. So we are now March 2020 is when I founded CEMM. So I'd had a few years in manufacturing and what ended and also knowing, of course, that I wanted to run my own company. So this is how something sometimes falls on your lap when you've done enough prep work. For so March 2020, I get a call from my father. This was those first two weeks of, of the pandemic of lockdown. Everything was quiet. I was at, I was at home. Also important to note, I had been let go of the company I was at. It's November 2019. And I do let go of the company that I was at. I am now faced with, do I re-enter or apply for jobs at another company? Or do I just go and chase my dreams and see what happens without the safety net? And I was fully trusting in the universe that I, it was time to face my fears and just go after what I wanted. What was interesting about those three, four months is that I needed to really just rely and trust myself. And when March 2020 rolled around, so many things shut down, but I get a call from my father. And he goes, I just heard the premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, on TV asking local manufacturers to, to step up to the plate and make very necessary protective equipment. My dad goes, who do you know at the government? I didn't know anybody at the government at that time. Such a big question. And I remember getting off the phone with him and asking myself, who am I to really go and reach out to the government and, and tell them what I might be able to do for them? And there was that little voice that came up and it says, well, who am I not to? What if I can? So I sat down. I ended up emailing two or three people in different positions at the premier's office and 12 hours later, it was 6.30 a.m. on a Saturday, and I got a phone call from the Department of Economic Trade and Development. And they said, okay, we got your email. We heard you worked at Canada Goose. We heard you had your own company in manufacturing. What can you do for us? And there I was and sat with them, came up with a plan. It was very scrappy, but and also very 
big minded. And I just pitched them on this plan of what I thought and believed I could do and then ended up running with it. And so what was that plan that you pitched? So they needed as many local factories to come and manufacture masks, isolation gowns. And because I'd worked in that space and played in that space for a while, I knew of several of the largest apparel manufacturers in central Canada. So I compiled a list for them. At the same time, my father, he's in furniture manufacturing. So he compiled a list of the furniture factories in central Canada. And so it was this two-pronged approach, probably two dozen of the largest factories in, in central Canada. So we approached the government with this list. And this was also, it was quite pure because we, I just wanted to do my part. I wanted to to help as best as I could. And I said, these are the factories that we know of. I, I was like, go out and reach out to them if, if you need their help. They came back to us and they said, well, we don't really know how to talk to these factories or tell them what to do or what to make. Can you actually take that role on? So at that point, I went back to the to the drawing board and I realized that I needed to figure out what these factories needed to make, what I needed to bring in house, what I needed to to purchase for these factories. And I ended up speaking to, I mean, many people during this time frame, but one of the best calls I made was to the president of an already existing manufacturing company who was making reusable isolation gowns for 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 the medical space. And I said, I actually have two dozen factories for you that you can use to start manufacturing more products. And she considered this for a while. Again, I was just trying to help and connect some dots and and do my part as a citizen. And eventually she came back to me a few days later. She says, we don't know how to take on more factories, but if you need me to tell you what to make, that's something I can do. She ended up becoming a very valuable advisor. And really, that was that point where I became the CEO of CEMM and the name Canada Emergency Medical Manufacturers. We were now a conglomerate of a few of a few factories who just wanted to come and help to manufacture reusable isolation gowns. And I'd been given the recipe by somebody who'd been in the industry for a very long time. That's amazing. Saturday morning, 6.30 a.m., you answer your phone and it starts a company. Esther, at what point in that journey did you shift from being a citizen who wants to make a difference to actually monetizing this company? When I was going through the numbers of what Ontario's and Quebec's hospitals needed in terms of reusable isolation gowns, that was purely from perspective of what the need was. When I presented those numbers in terms of volume to the government, that was still just wanting to help. This is what we need. This is what we can make. And this is how quickly we can make those volumes. We were looking at hundreds of thousands of units. And it was only when they actually came forward with the purchase order that that was, okay, we have, we have this, this lump sum of money to put to work. So. It was even in those early days where I was looking at how much does each item cost to actually manufacture? What do we just need to get this done? And that was still from the help perspective. And it was really only when that order landed on my desk. The first order was for $13.1 million. When we got that in, I was like, okay, now we have to make the goods and just not go into the red. (laughs) That is an incredible first paycheck. 
Now, I know it's not a paycheck. I know it was a PO. I know all that. But yes. wow, what a great first order. Now, I'm curious because you said that you walked away from entrepreneurship and went back to full time. And I did as well, Esther. I had a couple different iterations of my company and I... I got offered this job. I, I used to be a teacher and I got offered a nine month long term occasional teaching spot, which was happened to coincide with the day that I made the decision to close down my company and look for work. Like it's amazing how the universe happens. But that nine months afforded me the space, the grace and the financial buffer to be able to launch what is now the road to seven. And so I think that is a so important that people can hear that just because the iteration of your business that you're working on right now isn't working, it doesn't mean you can't just burn it to the ground or step away, go and find something else. It doesn't mean the spirit's dead. Absolutely. I think it's so good. Absolutely. And that's also the art of letting go and knowing when something is is done because it allows fresh energy in and new opportunities to flow in. And what's beautiful about those nine months that you had, you said it allowed you the space, the grace and the financial buffer. And those are three things that during those four months that I had off, that's exactly what that space was meant for. Yeah. And you know, it's amazing because we cannot be uh, the, I think the expression I heard recently was, you cannot be creating when you're so busy consuming. And so you've got to stop consuming to be able to create. And that space and grace is so underutilized and underestimated. So I just wanted to address that. But let's come back to the PO landing on your desk. $13.1 million. All right, go ahead. Make all of these gowns. What are you doing differently now with CEMM? than you did with your first company? I think quite simply, on a spiritual level, the energy was there at that moment in time in terms of the factories easily coming on board, in terms of having the funds in order to bring new people onto my team. The first company that I was running, it was largely me and two or three part-time individuals. And maybe this resonates with somebody who's listening. That was that first company. The second company, I was given an opportunity to, to build a larger team. And you really can do so much more when you have other individuals working together. So the difference was that I had funding to bring on other brilliant human beings to, to build this vision and this company with me. That's a huge shift. And when somebody is a full-time employee, I think there's a level of loyalty and ownership that they take that is very rare to find in contractors. Who were your first hires, Esther? That's a great question. And it's funny because I remember getting this purchase order and having these funds coming in. And I was like, the first person that I need to hire is a controller. I need, I need somebody who can manage money, who can track the money and who can make sure that it's safe and used appropriately. So the first hire I made was a controller. And for me, building companies... So CMM was, was the third company that I built. And building the team, how you structure it, what roles you, you think you need is so important. So I'm also a big believer in those early days to reach out into your network for people because that is just a little added layer of trust because they may have been introduced from a friend or a friend's friend. 
So I reached out to a few of my mother's friends and my mother, and I said, who are the people that you're working with? Who are your accountants? And it happened to be that my mother's accountant's brother had just been laid off. He was looking for work and I hired him probably within 36, 48 hours. That was the first hire. The second hire was I wanted a chief operating officer, another person who could just help with the structure and the day-to-day activities. And I reached out into my network of university friends. I said, guys, I'm looking for somebody who can do this role. Who do you know? And one of my old girlfriends, she was at the University of Michigan, posted in her university group. And there was one person who hadn't yet found an internship and was willing to come on. Brilliant guy. He had just finished his MBA. And that was my second hire and just kind of flowed in that way. It just sort of went from there. I love that you hired very strategic roles. These weren't people that were going to help you push paper or, you know, dial the phone. They absolutely had an area of which they had full ownership and control over the company. How hard was it to immediately trust them? Like, how hard was it for you to sort of assume that CEO role, the president role, and allow them to do what it is that they do? That level of trust was, for some reason, immediately there. And I was right in making those assessments. They were incredibly skilled, incredibly intelligent, and veterans in their field. So luckily, that level of trust was there. And what I thought was interesting about these hires is that I wasn't looking at how they answered my questions during the interview. I was listening for the questions they were asking me. And that's how I made those judgment calls, which turned out to be accurate. Wow. That's huge. You know, I see, I see women making hires and they bring on, you know, like a marketing, um, person or somebody to manage the sales, but then they micromanage that person so closely. They don't actually let them do their job. And one of the things I teach is to just let it run, let them do their job, let them create the processes because you care about the end result. So. We got the people in place. You got the money in place. You got the people in place. What happened then? Then we had to really make sure that we were hitting the numbers that we had promised to deliver to the government. And this was an all hands on deck effort. We had started purchasing materials. That was the very first thing that we needed to get in. So we started purchasing the materials, the medical fabrics, and started to deliver these to all the various factories. And then we had to make sure that they knew what they were making. And and we pick up, we started a cadence. So we had brought these materials in, we divided it up based on their manufacturing capacities, and then would make our start to make our deliveries. That's amazing. You literally built the plane as it was flying. Absolutely. And had to do it and we had to do it quickly. Well, yeah, middle of a pandemic, everything's locked down, nobody's allowed out of their house. That's fantastic. So that was sort of the initial Stardester. How has it grown over the last two years? That's a great question. It got to a point where we also wanted to, well, we kept recruiting more and more factories to join our initiative. They were very willing. People wanted to, to play their part and we just kept ramping up in terms of our pr- production. 
very first week that we made any any deliveries, we did five and a half thousand gallons. And within four months, our weekly deliveries were hitting 75, 80,000 pieces. Wow. Wow. So we've been able, yes. So we've been able to ramp up in terms of our production capabilities and really get to focus in on efficiencies. Do you have your own factory now or are you still outsourcing it to various others? Outsourcing to, to various others. And we've built really great relationships. That's just how this, I think, started and why fix something that isn't broken. Yeah, absolutely. I've got two questions before I let you go. Question number one, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started CEMM two years ago? One of the biggest lessons was about how to level with your customers. Your customers can often have expectations for you that just aren't possible to reach. And instead of saying that's an impossibility, it's really important to share openly, vulnerably where you're at, what your limitations are, what obstacles you're facing. Because at the end of the day, those customers, in in my case, they were businesses or government bodies or hospital organizations, but they're still people. Tell them what you're going through, invite them in. And I think at the end of the day, your customers just want to know that you're doing your best for them. And I've learned that often that is enough. Mm -hmm. That open communication, I think, is so important. People get intimidated by their customers. They feel like they owe them something or that they're indebted to them because they're buying from them. And I think that that's a big mistake. I agree completely. And it goes back to that core relationship idea with your customer. And I, at the very beginning, was absolutely intimidated, especially when I was a little bit under delivering. But it was seeing how well those conversations went when I was just open with them. So if that's one thing I can impart, it's not to be afraid of those conversations. I will say those conversations that I had with people at those hospitals, long-term care homes, or at the government, absolutely there was fear in me going into those conversations If I at the, in the early days when I was a few thousand units off for what I thought I was able to deliver. Also, I'd acknowledge, yes, that happens. No, that doesn't have to be a deal breaker, but it's leveling with them. That's really important. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you've stepped into the CEO role beautifully. Thanks for saying that. Oh, what's next? Where's where where can we see CEMM going? What's next for you for your growth? Wonderful question. Again, I would say it seems to be on my serial entrepreneurship journey that there are moments for certain companies to exist. And I'm already seeing at the end of the pandemic, there won't be as large a need for this product. And that's okay. I'm happy to be the kind of entrepreneur that serves a moment of time and serves a need and then moves on to the next. And again, I wrapped up one company in the past. That's what's going to happen with CMM as well. And then I'm very excited for that next company, the next opportunity and to, to build something big for this world. That's amazing. I have Kenny Rogers in my head. Know when to hold them and know when to fold them. No when to walk away, no when to run. I'm not going to keep singing or even start singing because I'm going to save your ears. Esther, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. If people want to learn more about you or your company and learn about what you're doing, where should they where should they go to find you? 
You can find me on Instagram at Esther Blessing and my book will be coming out in 2024 about my journey. And there will be some great lessons about how to deal with the struggle before you get to where you hope your life is. I hope that when the book comes out, you'll circle back and be our guest again so we can talk about it. I would love that so much, Sheila. Good. Esther, thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to The Road to Seven. If you found value in what you've heard today, please leave us a five-star rating and a written review. You might just get a shout out on an upcoming episode and you never know when I'm going to be mailing some surprise treats to our reviewers. Make sure to subscribe so you automatically get notified when new episodes are released. Are you looking for a way to connect with other entrepreneurs that are facing the same challenges as you? I'd love to connect with you in the Road to 7 Facebook group on Instagram and LinkedIn. Just head to SheilaCummins.com. You will find all the links that you need right there. Together, we'll explore more ways to support your shift into action so that you can grow your business to finally match your vision. I love aligning your vision of success with strategic and intentional actions because that is how we will grow your business to match your vision. I focus on women, all women, because women hold the keys and the power to creating a powerful and positive world through their impact. We'll see you on the next episode.